0: Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with the bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please give us a rating or review when Apple Podcasts helps get the show out there. Share this with friends where you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself Connect with us on social media, at LonghornPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodrich. You're my host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who loves things being drawn out. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you?
1: There's many things that could fit that that softball toss-up of an intro you gave me. But I imagine, Gerald, you are talking about how we are, on the 28th recording this, heading into March, still under contract with Vox media that's right folks uh we've been extended for a month can't get rid of us this we this may be a month to month the way some people do rent for the next six years who knows i doubt that's true uh but um that's the news that's what it is we are um still incredibly loyal to the vox media brand thanks uh dad uh uh, thanks um big big vox uh for the the paycheck so yeah we have another month on the vox
0: yeah, so we promised you an update last week because, well, we figured this would be uh, the final one that would go up on the podcast feed, but then we got some news and we shifted it back a day because, well, why not, right? So uh, the news is that Vox, uh, due to some logistic things and getting our uh, our. Podcast feed migrated to like for like some insider baseball has uh, extended the contracts for all of us like a month. So we've got another month as they work to, to migrate our stuff over. So good news for those of you that are loyal listeners, been with us for a long time. or just new to the podcast and just subscribed. You don't have to do anything. The news from Vox is that we are going to get to keep this feed. Uh, if you're subscribed at Burnt Orange Nation, it will transport over to the new thing. It's going to keep... We get to keep the Longhorn Republic name, which is great. We do have to change our logo because, well, if you have seen it lately, it is a very burnt origination theme. But uh, <laughs> shout-outs to Design Mark F on Twitter for hooking us up with a new logo. You'll see that here uh, in the next couple of weeks. Guy hooked us up, did some really incredible work and we're it's excited. Sick. It's really, really cool. I'm, I'm very excited by it.
1: I, I might even go as far, Gerald, as to say it is better than our current logo, which we've had for six years, five years at least. Um, or no, I guess probably since the, the, the BON times. But I mean, for for multiple years, we've had this logo. I've gotten used to it. But this... This is an upgrade.
0: I'm not going to fault you for saying that something that was professionally done uh, is an upgrade from the thing I made in Photoshop from my bed like one afternoon. <laughs> like, that's fine. I'm not going to fault you for that. It's okay. Uh, but we're not here to talk about graphic design. We're here to talk about some graphic outcomes on the basketball court. Texas Beautiful. goes one and one, had a chance to close out the conference race, could not do it, stomped a mud hole. In Iowa State, but then dropped uh, a pretty ugly one to Baylor uh, to keep the conference race kind of spicy for them ladies. Weirdly enough, same problem. <laughs> Stomped a mud hole in a team, uh, rival team, which felt great, but couldn't get it done against Baylor. We'll talk about a big baseball matchup happening uh, right tonight as we're recording. Exciting. We love breaking news. And then a lot of championships were won this weekend, Kyle and the 40 acres. So we've got a golden Down the 40, brought to you by a couple of swimming teams who continue to dominate. Obviously, we'll do all our fun. Burn Orange Lenses, Godzilla Tron, Bang the Drum, all of that fun stuff. But we start on the hardwood. Texas drops one spot in the poll to number nine after going one and one in ranked matchups through the week. Absolutely just beat the tar out of Iowa State, 72 to 54 honestly was a snuff film for most of that game um just absolutely incredible just beat beat to death which is which is fine um and then had a chance to close out the conference race to just win it outright but fell to baylor 82 to 71 11 points feel simultaneously too big but not big enough to illustrate the weirdness of that game
1: yeah, I mean, look, it looked like they'd found a new strategy instead of just being a second half team of being a, a both halves team. Um, they they you know, like I said, beat the brakes off Iowa State, which all felt right in the world. Held Iowa State to a uh, you know their lowest in point total in Big Twelve. Tyrese Hunter looked reinvigorated, which was nice um, against his his old foes after being heckled in, in Ames pretty pretty mercilessly. Um, but then against Baylor, even though they got out. Um, on an early sixteen and zero run to put them up eighteen to four, and it looked like wow, Texas is just going to jump out and just beat people. Baylor had an eighteen zero run, and Texas never really got in it. They had their spurts. It was close at half, um, but in the second half, it, once Baylor got the lead up to I think seventeen, maybe even eighteen at one point. Um, to their credit, Texas fought, got it to single digits. Looks like maybe a couple things could break their way, but. Um, Baylor was the better team on this day. I mean, these are. This was tough. Um, they beat Baylor at home. Baylor, in recent history, is not used to losing to Texas basketball, um, and and they seem like they were really up for this when Baylor did. Texas did some of the things that that are part of their winning DNA, right? They had more. Um, assists less turnovers i think they were 20 to 15 versus for forcing baylor into that beautiful negative tur- turnover uh, assist to turnover ratio of 12 to 21 um but you saw two key metrics i think in this one baylor inside out rebounded texas 37 to 25 um and then f- free throws right uh texas shot 12 made eight of them which is fine baylor shot 29 and made 22 of those right that um is the entire point differential and then some uh just on the free throw line i'm not trying to say it was a ref show specifically texas definitely committed some fouls it did feel like there were some things that you know eh, got some guys in foul trouble i mean it I said on last week's podcast that I still felt like there was a Tyrese Hunter game in this season, and Tyrese Hunter had two good ones. I said I felt like um, there was a Dylan Dissue game still to come, and I I did not realize that it would be an only Dylan Dissue game. Um, It felt like besides him, no one else really could do anything.
0: That was weird. Again, we can't, like, we don't want to fault, like, I don't want to talk down on like Tyrese Hunter going 13 in that game. Like that's normally a line that can get stuff done, but um, the shooting percentages weren't great for anybody on the team really, much less Tyrese Hunter, right? This was the worry that we had early in the season. We talked about it where there's going to be a game or two games where Texas just gets outbodied down low. And that happened like 12 rebounds led to second chance points for Baylor. That's a big, big deal. And, Part of being undersized under the basket is having to kind of get more physical. And so the whistles will be cheaper and they'll be quicker and they'll get to the line and then they get into the bonus quicker. And then because college basketball men's college basketball is the only freaking level of basketball where they play halves instead of quarters they stay in the bonus and the double bonus for like 15 freaking minutes it feels like 15 game minutes not real minutes game minutes which feels like an hour and a half and it just drags the game out so those things happen right you get into foul trouble when you're undersized down low and you're getting outbodied and that's what happened with Baylor Baylor was really physical down low Baylor outbodied Texas Texas tried to get physical in return and the whistles came quick and that's just kind of part of how big 12 basketball gets played out, and again, we said it in our pre like our season preview. There are going to be games where a team bodies Texas down low, and it looks ugly. And that was really the difference against Baylor.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're you're right. You're absolutely right too. It did feel like Texas didn't adjust when they were trying to get physical, and the refs just said, "Nope, you touched him. That's a foul." I think there was at least five like rebounding fouls in the second half when the game was you know in in the teetering between can they make a comeback or is it a blowout? And that didn't help anything, right? Um, especially when Texas wasn't hitting shots and offensive rebounds would have been key. I mean, look, right? Baylor shot 50% from the field. They had a good night. They shot 47% from deep. They, they were good. They, they played a good Baylor uh, game. If you look at Dylan Desue, he was 10 for 15, shot 67% from the fourth, 75%, uh, three for four from deep. If you take him out, the rest of Texas shot Thirty-seven percent and seven for twenty-three uh, from from deep thirty percent. So I think that's it, right? If Texas isn't hitting their shots, and they play a team that can go inside and body them, that's that's a, a lethal combination. And the refs are calling, you know, when Texas tries to uh, get get position, get physical, get um, you know maybe a little bit of little <laughs> a little bit of armbar action, whatever it was. But uh, again, like you said, you have to give Tyrese Hunter credit, right, for as many uh detractors as he's had the past month or two months of of the season not just the ones in Ames. uh he had 15 points followed by in in uh the iowa state game and followed by 13 points as the second leading scorer uh, against baylor um marcus carr hit a late one to get into double digits really he was more uh, facilitating six assists to, to one turnover Following the the game before that, where he had five assists, so he is looking um, like a point guard. If he's not the guy scoring, but he, he didn't have his best shooting night, and we we knew that's going to happen. There's going to be those nights, and who is it that steps up, right? If if Allen and, and Rice both struggle, they got 12 in this one, but uh, it wasn't electric. You know, if that happens, we said who steps up, and it was Dessou. But then they didn't have the defense to to capitalize on that, right? I think a Texas team that scores seventy one hopes that they might win that game, right? If you hold a team in the sixties, uh, but you, you certainly um, give up eighty two, you are gonna have to you are gonna have to score, and Texas didn't have it on the night, and that's unfortunate because, like Gerald said, this was a chance to at least put themselves in a very good position uh, with the, the final two games remi- remaining, um, w- which aren't easy. Uh, but it was a road game, as I mentioned previous podcast it's almost impossible to win on the road in the Big 12 in men's basketball it's it's legitimately harrowing experience um but Texas failed to do it
0: so now they've got to go on the road to pick up a win to keep themselves uh firmly in the mix they've got TCU in funky fort worth uh Wednesday the day you're listening to this before hosting number 3 Kansas on Saturday to end of the season Kansas gets texas tech uh tonight as we're listening to this and and um it's not going well for the red raiders which we didn't expect but that's fine because you know what it is playing kansas at home it is what it is And, and then they've got texas on saturday they're currently a game ahead of texas in the conference race so that game on saturday if both teams win their respective uh preambles will essentially determine the conference race on the ladies' side, the, a, there's a much clearer picture, I think, for them in the conference race. They went one and one, going to Norman, doing what we love to do, putting the boots to the Oklahoma Sooners, keeping the University of Texas blemishless against the Sooners, 10 and 0 on, this, on the academic year against the Oklahoma Sooners, 67 to 45, getting a leg up in the, uh, the conference title race, held Oklahoma. Forty points below their scoring average, which is absolutely nuts.
1: Yeah, OU is averaging ninety over their last five in Big Twelve play. They've been on fire, uh, and again, Texas held them to half of that, to forty-five, which is which is wild. It just goes back to show they're eighteen and zero when they hold people under sixty points. You know what a Vic team's DNA is, and and he knows it as well. Um, they outscored the Sooners big in the second half, forty to twenty-two. They had two quarters in this game in which they held OU, uh, to single digits in the second and fourth quarter, both. So, um, great offense on the Texas side for sure, but, but, that trademark defense, I think is what you saw. Shayla Gonzalez with 19, Rory Harmon, 14 points, 8 assists, 7 rebounds, put up one of those beautiful box uh, score fillers that that she uh, has in her really sophomore season become known for, right? as She's become an even better rebounder, uh, even better assist per game than last year where she was stellar and still continuing to score. She's doing it all. Deanna Gaston had a double-double. Shay Holly had 11 uh, second-half points, actually had 11 points just in the third quarter. So you love to see a player get an explosion like that. Shay Holly would be an important player down the stretch for them with her defense and her running and her uh effort so seeing her get get the ball in the, the hole as well as is, is a is a good thing
0: this is the time i thought this was going to be a momentum win for them like you don't go to oh like to norman like the, the lloyd noble center I can say this and not feel weird about it. It's like one of the toughest places to play. Like, LNC does it well, especially for the ladies. They love women's sports in Norman. And so going there and smashing OU the way they did is just absolutely wild. And I was like, oh, they might do the dang thing. And then they come home and – Again, it was kind of like they—they they felt like they didn't rise to the moment. Uh, they had an opportunity to close it out, and if you listen to any of the post game, some players were critical of some of their teammates and the effort that they gave in this game. Uh, it snapped a twelve straight twelve game home winning streak for the ladies. Um, went fourteen and two though in the inaugural season at home, which is not bad. Uh, and also, probably most importantly, we'll talk about this more later. They got 10,000 fans in there, which means that they had 154, actually, Pledge to the Neighborhood Longhorns Foundation, uh, Neighborhood Longhorns program, uh, which is absolutely incredible to hear.
1: Yeah, we'll let Gerald talk about that, but it was senior night. They honored seniors Anissa Gutierrez and Femmesudy. Not the two, you know, names that jump out, but two um, players who certainly uh, contributed both to the the box score and and the culture this season, so it it is a reminder that this is a young team, right? Their best players are sophomores and and some juniors, right? So this was tough. These two-day turnarounds, especially after the emotional win of traveling to norman beating you know ou which is always great beating ou in theory to to you know put yourself on the fast track for a big 12 championship that ou doesn't get i mean it was it was an up and you can do two things like gerald said you can either ride that um all the way through with with momentum for the rest of the season or you can have a little bit of a crash with a two-day turnaround back uh in austin i thought again the ten thousand fans at home would have would have helped uh them soar but you know to their credit, the team was calling out um, effort, and you never, Coach Vic, you, you you love him for what he is. He isn't going to change. He's he's a tough love kind of guy. If you do it right, he will be your biggest ally and biggest fan. He'll still push you and challenge you, but um, he he will call you know his team out when they're not giving the effort. And he basically said, you know, if you're not uh taylor jones rory Harmon, or or uh shay holly right now then your effort isn't where it needs to be uh heading into the end of the season so uh, you know a call to action we'll see how they close out um but but basically i mean baylor just won this game right the same as the men's baylor outscored their our quarters in the women's game three out of four and then the one they didn't they tied them in the third quarter so they just won this game right texas um shot 35 percent 27 percent from deep they just didn't have it um Baylor shot 55 percent in the first half 44 in the game they were just putting the ball in the bucket easier to, Texas did the thing that they wanted to do they out rebounded Baylor with more misses uh they were able to get more rebound 41 to 35 18 offensive rebounds which gave them an 18 to 6 advantage and second chance points like on a game like that, you say, "Hey, Texas probably wins that game, right? If they could have gotten a few more stops, if they could have gotten back, they've been getting beat a little bit in transition, which again is an effort thing, right? So if they get back, hustle back, play that brand of Vic defense, they probably still find a way to win this game um, because they they did some things right, even on a poor shooting night, right? That's not an excuse for for a a Vic coach team. He doesn't, you know, if the ball doesn't go through the hole, we'll just, you know. Take more shots, get steals, get turnovers, play defense, limit their possessions, and keep you know keep trying and, and get the rebounds and put it back up. Um, you know he, he has a plan for for when the ball's not going through. It's tough to win, but you know the, I think he felt very much that they could have and and and. Probably should have sealed the the championship in this one.
0: I mean, Vic Vic Schaefer is, and I'm, I'm gonna say this. I think Vic Schaefer is a lot of what Chris Beard wants to be, where it's like I coach you hard, and I love and and uh, I hold you accountable, but I do it because I love you and I care about you. I think like Vic Schaefer pro- does it in uh, a way that probably may rub suit people the wrong way, but I think it's absolutely what uh, has worked for him in in. Um, his career, but I think Baylor forced Texas into some bad shots, and Texas couldn't hit them. And that's normally how Texas wins these games because we yeah. you know, we look at Texas's record, and this is your stat, Kyle. But I'm gonna steal it like when Texas holds teams below 60, they're undefeated, 18 and 0 on the year. Right, mm-hmm. so like Baylor forced Texas to take bad shots. Texas took bad shots, and Texas missed bad shots. That's how that's that is basketball in a nutshell. And so mm-hmm. Baylor did it well for them and kept Texas from uh, clinching the conference.
1: And a couple, a couple, just additional things on that, right? It's defense, defense, defense. When they hold teams, like you said, below sixty, it's eighteen zero. But when they allow more than sixty, it's four and eight. It's, it's, you know, it's pretty stark. Uh, they don't win shootouts. Not, not, this team. They're not built that way. They rank tenth in the NCAA in turnovers forced per game, uh, eighth in NCAA in block shots per game. They hold a three hundred eighty-two to two hundred advantage over opponents in points off turnovers. That is how they get offense, is through defense. I mean, that's 182 points. That's a lot of wins right there. Um, my favorite stat, right, to, to Vic praised Harmon in in in, go, in giving his team a call to action. Uh, Rory, who had another good one, 12.7 rebounds, 7 assists, did what she did, which is everything. She also leads the team in fouls drawn on the offensive side with 119 of those, and Charges taken, which I love that. I love that stat when your superstars leading your team in charges taken. And in, in the Big Twelve alone, she's played forty minutes nine times. Rory is is you can never question her heart, right? Um, she may not be the biggest person on the court. Uh, that's probably Taylor Jones who had eight blocks this week, <laughs> week and across two games. She's great, uh, and she's another one Vic praised for her effort. But um, Rory certainly has the heart uh, of an absolute lion, and so you know, I hope. Rory herself, a sophomore who's become the team leader, um, you know, certainly one of the best players in the country. Um, calling the team out is the thing. If it's not Vic, then it's hey, that's my teammate calling me out, and we'll see something uh, a little bit different because it's it's theirs to the win. The home stretch is, is they control their own destiny to an extent, um, and then you know the Big Twelve tournament and ultimately uh, the, the the March tournament. So, um, can this be a call to action to close out and get right for the end when a, when a big team likes to come together?
0: Yeah, so this is what it is. Is Texas has one game left on the year. They're uh, taking on Kansas State, five and eleven in conference. Those Wildcats, uh, not great. Uh, and if they win that game, they'll at least have a share of the conference title. OU for their uh, for their trouble has that same Kansas State, so we may chalk both of those up as W's for either team. So really, it may come down to. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State Bedlam on Saturday will likely determine if Texas has an outright conference championship or a share of a conference championship.
1: And let, let me just say, Gerald, Kansas State is led by the Big 12 second highest scorer, Gabby Gregory, who may just be a sleeper agent. Where did she transfer from uh, after a, a tough injury laden junior year, but a, a stellar freshman and sophomore year? That's right. From. Oklahoma uh, has gone to Kansas state to put herself in this t- t- position to basically uh, determine uh, the where OU and Texas finish in conference. It's a a novel written deep in the sooner message boards. Um, but hopefully Texas can get past the, uh, the sleeper OU agent who's probably, probably the comeback player of the year in, you know, at least the big 12 is not the entire country this year scoring leading her team all over the place after coming back from some bad injuries last year.
0: Not for the first time tonight. Breaking news. Texas, after taking LSU scoreless into the ninth, falls to the number one team in the country. 3 nothing. Texas was coming off of a 3-1 th- week. They got a 12-2 win over Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Had a 2-1 weekend series win over... Uh, Indiana, in which they scored 11 runs over three games and then couldn't manage to put a single one across the plate against the Tigers. But the pitching looks solid against what's probably not even arguably, but the number one offensive lineup in the country. Probably, I think you can make a case for that. Uh, LeBaron Johnson had it himself a night, but unfortunately, uh, the bullpen did not pull their weight.
1: Yeah, this is this is uh, kind of a, a live react. Um, I will say. Uh, a little inside baseball about the baseball. Um, we paused our recording of this podcast to go watch. Cause it's like, man, this thing is tied in the ninth. We got to see this. And I turned, we'd been watching via the stats, uh, broadcast, but I turned on the game on the exact pitch that an LSU player launched a ball 400 and some odd feet over, uh, the Texas left center field. Um, so that's on me, guys. It, there is a theory, a working theory, that at least uh, tens of of, of um, folks on the internet are, are are spouting that maybe all the problems with Texas sports are me. They're related to me. Maybe they're all my fault, and that I mean that that feels likely. That that tracks. Um, no, it, it look it it sucked. Was a, I do feel terrible that that was the first thing I saw, but um, yeah, Gerald. It's a, a little bit of a trend. There's a couple things watch points so far in this season. Um, First of all, incredible gutsy performance to get it to the ninth zero zero, 0 holding uh, them, you know, down LBJ, pitch five, looking great, nine strikeouts, three hits through there. The bullpen actually did okay getting to the ninth, um, back-to-back walks to open it up. They did have struggled a little bit with walks today, which, again, when a lineup's that good, I guess you're you're over-pitching a little bit to not give them anything, you know, to, to crush, which happened there. Um, to his credit, Duplantier came back and fanned the next two guys. He's... He responds better to giving up a home run than anyone I know. I just wish it didn't take the home run to get to the good stuff. I don't know. Look, LSU's a really, really, really good team this year. It's a Tuesday night. Anything can happen. It's, it's you know, would have loved to win that one. Would have really, really loved to win that one, especially with the way the season has started and going 0-3 to start, right? Um, that would have been a, a statement game for the rest of the season. But I, I think... There's some really fun spots on this team. The starting pitching has been pretty good all year, honestly. Um, You know, downtown Porter Brown is a guy who's quickly becoming a Colt hero. Three home runs already. Um, I, I just think this is a young team, and we said it in our preview. A young team... Is going to break your heart. You know, they're going to lose some heartbreakers. They're going to lose some ones that you just think, how did you throw that away? Or, oh, how did you make that play or not make that play? Base running, errors. We've seen some of those things um, crop their head up. But, yeah, I mean, look, it, it's the number one. No one thought they would win this game coming in against the number one team who's in great form with a Texas team that's struggling. So good effort, good showing. I hate, uh, morale, uh, victories. Again, moral victory is not a thing. It's a morale victory. Um, but, uh, you know, to take it to nine was, was something better than all of us expected. So fortunate just to, uh, always be the bridesmaid, never the bride, uh, there and, and, not just finish it, but it's all right. Um, all in all on the week, look, they got a, a, their first series win, After a tough start, got the easy midweek win. Um, Say easy, but that was LBJ also getting the win there over the the CC Aggies. Um, 12 hits, 12 runs, 16 hits, no errors in that one. Freshman Jalen Flores getting his first home run. Um, I mean, not a bad week, all things considered. Would have been great if they basically swept uh, for the weekend, won the midweek, and then had a great showing against LSU. That would be probably the the ideal week. Um, But, you know... Still good. Uh, like I said, once they get past LSU, there's there's probably only like two or three they should lose or, or might lose coming up. They, they may lose more than that, but they should be favored in most of the games going forward as they get to the easy part of the schedule.
0: The good of this game is, right, the pitching staff held LSU to its uh, lowest offensive output of the year, right? The bad is that Texas had its lowest offensive output year of the year. So it's like, yes, there's good to point at. Yes. Obviously we don't want Texas to win, but like, I mean, LSU's pitching staff. There's a reason why LSU is the number one team in the country, right? They've got a phenomenal pitching staff. They got a phenomenal lineup. And like, that's what they did. They gutted it out. It was kind of a, a, a who blinks first. And unfortunately, Texas blinked first in this one, right? They strategically walked uh, Dylan Campbell, Dylan Campbell, downtown Porter Brown. Didn't get it done on, on the base for Texas. This, uh, this game, his last time out, like, or I guess on Friday, Uh, scored three runs, like, hit a three-run home run on Friday. Again, we need to celebrate people with the nickname downtown, but he couldn't get it done on Tuesday. So, like, it's tough for, like, again, there's no such thing as, like, good losses, losses are losses. We don't remember at the end of the year whether or not it was a close loss. It was just a loss. Um, But, like, after getting absolutely housed by the SEC, I mean, Texas is still 0-4 against this future conference, but it feels a lot better. Than I did maybe on Sunday of la- uh, nine days ago when Vanderbilt absolutely took Texas to the woodshed.
1: Yeah, I agree. Again, one thing to watch on the, on the error count. Basically, they went zero, and their are you know good win on Friday. That Friday game was great, right? Coming back, getting the, not quite walk-off, but the eighth-inning three-run homer that, that sealed the deal with zero errors, um, zero errors against the CC Aggies. Um, but then you saw it creep up a little bit. One error on Saturday, two on Sunday. Just one against LSU, but again, we really want to clean it up. We knew there'd be stuff after a legendary defense had to replace everyone. But um, base running Sunday was just bad, like botched hit and runs, some things that just didn't look right. Made um, you know, Indiana's catcher look like Pudge Rodriguez there on Sunday. Um, cleaned up a little bit against LSU. It wasn't like I would say they they just base ran themselves out of a win. But um, just a couple things to watch again. A young team. We said it. In our preview, we've said it. We'll say it certainly a dozen more times. Young team, growing pains. They're going to learn some things. It's a long, long, long season. They can learn some habits. Hopefully, they're good habits because uh, if they can get it going, there's a lot of talent on this team. There's just there's some gaps, and there's certainly, um, you know, a couple things to watch: the bullpen, uh, the you know, the, the fielding, the base running, and being able to string together hits uh, consecutively. So we'll, we'll see. We'll keep an eye on this team. Um, we still like their upside, but you know, we we knew it was going to be a big hill to climb.
0: Young team re- replacing. Essentially all of a record setting offense and defense it's gonna be shaky. But Texas has a chance to get it back going to California, heading to the West Coast to take on Cal State Fullerton in a weekend series before coming home to host Sam Houston in your Tuesday midweek game. So that's a part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we pop some champagne, downing the 40. Let's start in the pool, Kyle. Let's. They won some championships. Number two, women swimming won its 11th straight Big 12 championships. All have come under the captain, Kale <laughs> Capitani, the, the myth, the legend. 20 of 21 events this weekend. Absolutely incredible. The men did the same thing, 20 of 21 events. But for them, uh, multiply that record by four, 44 consecutive <laughs> conference title under Eddie Reese, 65 of those bad boys in school history.
1: I think it, like, I I do think it gets a little bit lost. Like, we'll take a moment. This will be, we we don't always wax poetic on the goat of goats, Eddie Reese, the the greatest college coach of any sport in history, right? Like, there is no one as dominant in their field, maybe at anything ever as Eddie Reese is at coaching men's swimming. 1980 to 2023 is a long time. Like, there have been many presidents, uh, there have been people who've had kids and grandkids in that span. I don't know, maybe great kids, uh, probably not great grandkids. Uh but it's you know, it's uh it's it's a long time. Eddie Reese is a freaking legend. Like, I, I don't know, like I, I don't think it gets enough, even though there's the joke that Texas is a swimming school. Like, yeah, unironically, we're a swimming school. Like we are as good at men's swimming as any program in the country is at anything ever. They they are uh Yukon women's basketball at their height, but for four decades, they are uh, Alabama football, but you know, ten times as long, uh, and with more national championships and certainly more conference championships. Like it, it, it is a little bit absurd. To think about, and we just need to take a chance. And again, Carol Capitani should be getting all the praise, but unfortunately, her record um, looks so so small compared to Eddie's just unbreakable, unbelievable record that no one in any sport will ever come close to touching. Uh, whenever he does finally, for real, uh, retire. But just a quick uh, couple callouts: Texas set a lot of Big Twelve meet records: 100 breast, Lydia Jacoby, Olivia Brace set two in the 100 fly, 200 back, the 400 free relay, and 800 free relay, all on the women's side. And then Carson Foster set two meet and conference records in the 200 and 400. I am. So some good uh, swims before they head into the big ones to the uh, natties for both teams who are ranked number two and number three, respectively.
0: Jimmy Carter, the president, the last time the University of Texas men's swimming team did not win a conference championship. That's right. Jimmy Carter. Uh, The track team, after a strong season on the ladies' side, or the men's side, were unable to close it out. They fell to Oklahoma State, number 23, um, narrowly, they set some records in what turned out to be a losing effort on both sides. The men finished third uh, after, again, um, winning the last two. They're hoping for their third consecutive, but were unable to close it out.
1: Yeah, the women were looking for their sixth, which would be a a Big 12 record, six consecutive. The men looking for their third, which would have been uh, a third straight sweep, which would have been a record. So, unfortunately, they weren't able to get either. Um, On the men's side, look, they knew it was going to be an uphill battle. Tech is number three in the country this year, and they were the hosts, and they took the title. So, um, you know, the men's was a little bit less surprising than the women. the, the usual suspects were all very good on the women's side. Julian Alfred continued her historic season, breaking the seven-second barrier in the 60-meter dash, one, ran a 6.97. Um, just a reminder, it's the third time this season. Alfred has broken her own NCAA collegiate record while becoming the eighth fastest human being in the history uh, of that and the only collegiate athlete to ever run under seven seconds. So just wild. Um, she also, just for record, set a UT program record in the 200 um, with a 22:26. there, the third fastest in college history. So um, she's awesome, and we knew she was awesome, and she did what she did. Um, Rossi Adeleke won with a then college record uh, in the 400. It, uh, someone from Florida broke it 90 minutes later, so she has the second fastest time uh, in the history uh, of college in the 400. So Both of the two stars of this program did what they did. Some other people won the events we expected in the win. I think there was just um, Oklahoma State kind of came out of nowhere and really had an incredible showing to kudos to them. I I don't know that Texas lost it as much as Oklahoma State went out and just just won it. Um, So a really interesting storyline. You don't necessarily in track always see upsets like that. Um, But on the men's side, you know, um you, you saw the distance where Carosa um, Yusuf Bizamana, you know they had some some great performances from their great performers just didn't have the depth I think needed one or two more um, all-American level uh, athletes to, to get him a couple more points but for his Credit Yusuf, Bisamato won the 600 with the third fastest time in NCAA history, moved to number three on uh, the Texas uh, list there. So um, Texas, the events they own, man, they own them. In the entire country, no one's close. They just need probably one or two more events on each side, um, which, you know, Coach Flo will certainly be thinking about as they
0: head to outdoors. I'm excited to see them get back at it in outdoors again. I think there's a direct correlation between Paparis and conference championships on indoor track. I don't know, maybe that's just me. But outdoor season right around the corner.
1: Little Little Papari did get 6 points in his in his uh, shot throw. So yeah, you know, we still have one. We just we just, you know, maybe he's not not the, the biggest one.
0: Remember, don't call him that to his face. Softball goes 3 and 1 on the week at the Lone Star Invitational. Lost to number 10 Virginia Tech. In the opener, six to five. Then beat Virginia Tech eight to two on Saturday. Uh, Abilene Christian eight nothing in five, and then and then honestly, I feel bad for Texas Southern twenty two to nothing in yeah. the fifth. Like we could have probably called that a little bit earlier, maybe I don't know. He's already dead. <laughs>
1: I don't know if there is a uh, a, a four run uh, when maybe there's a flag a coach can wave. It, it was ugly. We'll start in reverse order. Twenty two to zero was a phenomenal, phenomenal win um, all around. Uh, Satella Gutierrez, who we talked about, has just been electric. Honestly, after the, their other loss of the season against the top ten team by one run, right to, to against Northwestern, um, she got the loss there. But she's been lights out for the freshmen. She threw uh, a no hitter in this one. She became the sixteenth Longhorn and. In program history to throw a no hitter struck out nine of the 16 batters she faced the reason she faced 16 and not 15 was a pass ball on a strikeout the only person that kept her from a perfect game um which is even more rare of course the last one being uh, miranda eilish um was a a pass ball strikeout so she was just absolutely on fire they also set a program record with 23 hits in this one and 22 runs was just one shy of a program uh record uh couple people that stood out this weekend viviana martinez finished 8 of 13 with 10 rbis in four games leanne good who came in with a 10 game hit streak sadly saw it fall in the first uh, game of the weekend Um, ended at 10 games which is again the the program record for a uh, hit streak to start your career at texas Um, but she picked it right back up and the next game, she's now on a three-game hit streak. And uh, her whole career has, you know, maybe that's what we'll say. Her whole career, she got a hit every game but one. Uh, who knows? Um, but she was, was all over in this one, driving in six against uh, Texas Southern and was just a triple shy of the cycle. For her credit, Mia Scott extended hers to 14 out of 14, her hit streak, um, 14 games. shes She's been on fire as well. I think right now, uh, the last I looked at it, Texas has – three out of the top five or maybe even four out of the top six hits leaders in the Big 12. So they've started out putting the ball in play. They haven't, you know, they've got a few home runs, but they're just putting the ball all over the park in play uh, in their opening ones. And again, to go back to the beginning and the, the top of the weekend, that 5-6 that loss to a top 10 team to Virginia Tech, their only losses so far this season through 14 games are two of them to a top 10 team by one run. And Virginia Tech was a crazy comeback walk off from Virginia Tech to even get there. So this softball team is uh, is looking good.
0: Yeah, I mean, stop me if you heard this before. The Big 12, going to be nasty. Softball this time. Not, not baseball, not basketball, not football. Softball. Next up for them, they've got North Texas, who's just outside of the top 25, before hosting not the Lone Star Invitational, but the Longhorn Invitational against uh, Princeton, McNeese, Tennessee State, and number 24, Louisiana, Ragin' Cajuns, coming to Austin.
1: I can't imagine... A group that I would more like to see have a conversation around a table than a Princeton grad, uh, two Louisiana uh, folks from McNeese and Ooh La, La, or excuse me, Louisiana, just and then cool. and then Tennessee State. Um, throw a Longhorn in the mix and it gets wild. But just what a what a, what a pairing of four. I, I just want to be there for the intellectual banter. Go on, Gerald.
0: I'm proud of whoever put this set of schools together. (laughs) Uh, Moving on to the Lynx. Number eight, Women's Golf, has some more time left in the Darius Rucker Intercollegiate, but they're up to fourth place after two rounds in a field that includes 11 top 25 teams, four of which are in the top Ten On the men's side, number 15 men's golf finishes second in the Southern Highlands Collegiate in Vegas. Who, I mean, who goes to Vegas to play golf? That's That seems terrible, right? No. Uh, so there were two strokes off the winner, Illinois, who shot absolutely just dumb 11 under uh, on the last day to win a 21 under. Again, the field, this was a stacked group. Uh, nine top 25 teams, including five in the top 10. So Texas coming out second. Not a bad outing for the Horns.
1: Agree. This should probably move them into the top 10, I would think. Um, And it was mainly led by freshmen, right? Christian Moss fired his collegiate best six under in the first round, played well throughout the entire weekend, was uh, second in the individual standings. I think he was also two strokes uh, away from from taking the top honor there. And then Tommy Morrison, who we've talked a lot about, and he lived up to the hype in his first true debut, right? He, he did play in Hawaii with the canceled tournament, but uh, in his first uh, three-day tournament, um, finished ninth at seven under in his, his full debut, looks big in many ways, um, but uh, the other two freshmen, Keaton Vo, Jacob Sosa, both in the top 25 as well as grad transfer Brian Stark, also in the top 25. Vic, outside of the top 25, probably was the difference in this one. and you Just hope that he comes in, in the clutch and, and kind of can get consistent here for the the, the run-in. But um, this is a top 10 team, and it, it looks like and, and it's really, again, freshman-led. I just want to point out, Gerald, who wants to play golf in Vegas? Who wants to play golf in, in South Carolina? I mean, literally, these are bachelor party golf destinations on either coast um, that our men's and women's team are, are, are getting to partake in. And Again, Darius Rucker in intercollegiate is is one of my favorite sporting events on the calendar.
0: Not just because we can make fun jokes about it. Number two, men's tennis beat. Number 40, Texas A&M, as it should be, 5-2. to Texas won the doubles point in four singles matches, clinching at 4-1 on their way to a fourth straight win in the series. They take a week off before traveling to Stanford to take on number 24, those darn trees. And on the ladies' side, they took on the trees falling five to two Stanford has four top hundred ranked singles players, which probably helped them a little bit in this one.
1: Yeah. I think, I think Stanford is a candidate based on that to, to really skyrocket up the the rankings. UT will probably fall a little bit, hopefully not too far outside the top 10 because they've had a, a solid season. They just don't have, the top heaviness that they've had in the past, but Stanford has the number five, number 20, number 25, and number 72 ranked singles players. That doesn't to me sound like a top 22 team. That sounds like a top 12 team. So I could see Stanford moving up the next couple of weeks, but uh, to her credit, junior Taysia Pachkaleva. You said it. TP as, as uh, I forever will call her, uh, earned victories in both singles and doubles. So, you know, just need the team to get on that momentum for their, their next one coming up when they are in the H.
0: How would you feel about going TYP in honor of Michael Jackson's Ooh. real goat? P.Y.T. Let's I said it. There you go. P.Y.T. Probably my favorite Michael Jackson song.
1: Dirty Diana. It's a rare one. It's it's not it's not a common pick, but that's me.
0: It's a good one. But speaking of nothing we just talked about, Texas heading to Houston to take on rice on Saturday.
1: All right, Gerald. Now let's take a look at the world through some burnt orange lenses, keeping it on the hardcourt. Elliot Spazeri named the MOP of those indoor nationals. I think this came out just between our shows, but uh, named to the all-tournament team. Texas finishing runner-up there. There, unfortunately, were a lot of Horn Frogs on that team, but none above Elliott Spaziri, who took the MOP, as the number one singles player. He is on a Peyton Stearns-type trajectory this year, and I say that because Peyton Stearns was on hand for the Stanford uh, match to honored as the 2022 honda award winner for women's tennis um you that she was the ncaa singles champion a three-time all-american in both singles and doubles 2022 big 12 player of the year in the big 12 championship m-o-p she's a-g-o-a-t as well uh now in the professional circuit against baziri um doing that on the men's side and you love to see it you love to see both of these teams um have national championship aspirations, basically alternating years. I can take that. I can handle that. Uh, just one year, men win it next year. Women win it next year. Men. Yeah, that's fine. I'm perfectly fine with that rotation.
0: One logistic question, Kyle, she won the player of the year award, right? So, uh, she qualifies now for a retirement of something. What do they retire for a tennis player? Is it the visor? Is it a wristband? Like, what do they retire for a tennis? Maybe our, our tennis baggage handler, Rick, can weigh in on this one.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a real racket, whatever it is. No. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, for you know for uh, is it the shoes you know is Ooh, it is maybe. it cuz you know i think people fail to realize the the more than almost any athlete in any sport the shoe in tennis right you're doing so much quick lateral movement so much planting and lunging where you know like if you had a zion william uh, williams event um Going on where he blew out the uh, the Nike against uh, against North Carolina, you know that that could that could ruin a career. It may, may have done so for Zion, but uh, tennis they they rely on the shoes. So I'm going to go
0: with maybe the shoe. I'm down with it. I like it. Retire the shoes. Do it, Del Conte.
1: Uh, Gerald, this one hasn't happened yet, but the news is still exciting because. The dynasty is is finally uh, starting. the The new super team, the Phoenix Suns, will officially have a Kevin Durant uh, as a part of their already great team. Um, He will expected to make his Suns debut the day you're listening to this uh, against uh, Charlotte and the Fighting Michael Jordans. Um, So, Katie certainly had to get back in time there. Remember, it's 2023; it's your Jordan year. So, um, you know, go out and, and, and make it great. Same to you, Kevin Durant.
0: He's one for one on super teams. Let's see how this one works out.
1: Yeah, I love it. Um, something I don't love as much, but if you're plugged in, probably not the biggest surprise in the world. 2023 four-star cornerback Jaden Allen officially decommitted from Texas, opened his recruiting back up. Gerald, tell us a little bit about this and what rippling effects maybe it could mean.
0: Yeah, so Jaden Allen is one of those early mem- members of the recruiting class, and I like... It's hard to hold on to a rec- recruitment uh, that long. Those early commitments, I do not ever set my watch to them. This is like the second one of those really early commitments to decommit uh, from that class. He's a he's a stud. Corner, I mean, Alabama, Georgia are all knocking on his door. I think some of this may have to do, and I'm curious to see how this plays out. But B.J. Allen is, is his older brother. He was a member of uh, a previous recruiting class, and he hasn't really... Like he didn't even push for like time on special teams this year, so I'm curious to see um, if this has any. Uh, if we're reading too many tea leaves, or if this is something specific, uh, and maybe BJ is also uh, looking for greater pastures.
1: We shall see. Like you said, there's plenty of time in this class to uh, to make up, and we may just have um, some some good news to talk about in that class very very soon. We'll talk about that one in just a moment, um, Gerald. For now let's take it home with our final two segments, starting with Godzilla-tron. What have you been watching it on your giant screen?
0: Uh, so a little bit of watching, a little bit of reading. So I mentioned this is several weeks ago, but I started reading um, a, a graphic novel or a comic series called The Once in Future. It's it's uh, a little bit of a weird premise, but essentially these, these British nationalists are trying to uh, make Britain great again, and they're trying to do so by resurrecting King Arthur. Uh, and so all sorts of weirdness happens, and it's kind of a monster of the week kind of situation um, a little bit. I'm enjoying it. It's fun. It's like dumb. I don't have to think about it a lot, but it's funny and like got relatable characters. And obviously like Netflix owns the rights to like all of the boom comics is what this like comic imprint is called. So like Netflix is sitting on money because the things that make them a ton of money are like supernatural shows, like stranger things and the British monarchy. Like those two things that print money for Netflix, right? Downton Abbey, the crown, right? Like Bridgerton, like, just get on it. Make this show. It'll make you a ton of money. It'll be super fun. Uh, and then I was looking for, like, a, a show to watch in the background that I don't have to pay attention to. Um, and anyone that follows me on Twitter knows I've said this before. Um, the CW Monster of the Week show, Supernatural, uh, is actually one of my all-time favorite don't-have-to-think shows. I have argued that the first five seasons of Supernatural are serialized TV at its peak. Like, it is just, like... They do enough of like the overarching meta story in every episode. There's like one or two lines about it, maybe a conversation about it. But then it's very like insular into the episode It's like made to be syndicated on TNT, which is what it does now. They had 15 seasons of the show. I stopped after five because that's when, like, the original showrunner left and, like, they concluded the original story arc. And so I'm big on, like, jumping off of a show when, like, they've completed the actual, like, story arc. So I've got, like, a year or two's worth of watching this in the background while I do work. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to, to check it out.
1: Supernatural became the longest-running American live-action fantasy TV series. Um in its 11th season then it did four more. Uh, I have never watched it. Is Jeffrey Dean Morgan part of that original cast? Is he like in, in a lot of them?
0: Yeah. First season shows up quite a bit.
1: Then I will never watch it with my wife because, uh, she's, she's, yeah, she's a big fan of Jeffrey Dean Morgan. So we, we will not be watching that.
0: Sterling K. Brown also shows up early, early career. Sterling K. Brown, Mrs. Carpenter might just leave you.
1: I mean, Sterling K. Brown is a handsome devil. You know, that one might be as much for me. He's a fantastic actor as well. All right, so I watched the kind of opposite. I went um, high drama serialized documentary. Um, I've talked about it before on this podcast. I think Formula One's Drive to Survive on Netflix is this really, really fascinating phenomenon. I think it is single-handedly responsible for growing that sport in a way that I don't know... Any specific media outside maybe like the FIFA video game series for soccer in, in their American fandom, um, right? That might be the only analog there. It is a great, great, great show. I prefer it to the live seasons. My, my wife, you know, is, is super into cars and will... Um, wake up and and watch f1 races or at least certainly keep up with the events each week i don't even care like i'll kind of keep the general storylines i'm saving it all up for when the season comes out and it did come out this weekend and we binged the entirety of it all of season five of f1 drive uh to survive it is it is fantastic um as always right season four ends on a, a crazy real life drama um a a a you feel like this is the point in the series in, in, in the kind of hero story arc where Max Verstappen, who is absolutely the villain of the sport, he's, the worst um, if you think otherwise tweet at tweet at me and let me know but you're wrong um, Max Verstappen takes over the throne and we're right now at the point where the hero is uh, outcast and, and Lewis Hamilton has you know uh, lost his superpowers and now he has to train uh, with some dark shadow ninja somewhere in in some nether regions but will certainly make a comeback or maybe Ferrari well I don't mind Ferrari at all uh, if they can just get their stuff together but anyways it's a um, it's a it's a really just phenomenal show that, that gives super millionaire drivers and super billionaire owners like personality um, in a way that's very interesting. It, it's just a great show. Like if you haven't watched it and my first round of recommendations didn't do it for you, it's, it's in season five. And I still like binge the whole thing in a day to three days when it comes out. Cause it's, it's so good, but we finished all of that. Um, and on Sunday still had a bit of time and, Somehow um, this was our, our kind of lazy do stuff around the house weekend as well. Um, and it recommended the Netflix next show it recommended was called full swing, which is the same exact thing. Netflix is like, wait, this works for us instead of betting on live sports. They're betting on high drama. Well shot, you know, after the fact released, Serialization of a season um, edited for, for the most dramatic effect. And they did this with the PGA Tour, and it happens to be the year that Live Golf started, so it's, you know, super drama. But I only watched the first two episodes, and I will say the first two are very Longhorn-centric. Uh, the first episode focuses on the relationship between Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas, and the second episode, you know, starts kind of showing uh, Kepka but then really focuses on the rise of Scotty Scheffler. So if the show is basically just uh, an hour each of singing the praise of, of the University of Texas golf golf alumni, then, then sign me up. When's that Ben Crenshaw or Tom Kite uh, episode coming, homie? But um, no, I, I'm sure they look at other players, which probably won't be as fun. But, you know, so far, two episodes in, it's, it's great. Uh, we've had the the UT band playing at the Austin um, F1 uh, uh, event and, and a lot of Longhorn uh, iconography. And then we have uh, two UT golfers. So uh, that's the way I like to spend my, my Netflix sports documentary weekend is just basically with Bernard Tonsas.
0: Now is the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week?
1: Gerald, uh, the NFL draft is is sneaking up on us. It's uh, basically two months. Uh, well, I guess today's the, the 28th when we're recording this. You'll, you'll hear it on the uh, the 1st, but yeah, give or take two months away. It is right around the corner. This is the fun draft season where, you know, people are are talking themselves out of people, talking themselves into people, you know, combines will come shortly. Numbers will will make certain people darlings. Um, The camps are are going, the interviews are happening, people are falling in love, right? And we know there is a running back that is just the talk of the town, Um, you know, a, a, phenomenal high school player who came to the University of Texas, carried the ball many, many times, many touchdowns to great plum. Of course, I'm talking about Longhorn legend Roshan Johnson. You may have thought B. John Robinson there, and he himself is, is a legend, and, and he will do great. But Roshan's turning some heads. Um, a, a player who... We all knew, as Longhorn fans, was a phenomenal human being. An incredible team-first, do-it-all, I will block, I will catch passes, I will, you know do literally whatever is needed for my team to win football games a player who has all the tools who has all the heart who is one of you know just a natural leader who, who changed uh his position from quarterback to running back in order to serve the team and ultimately ended up serving himself because he is he is rising up draft boards you know he i think started you may have seen projections he was somewhere like Uh, you know, late. Can someone take a flyer on him in round five? Or, you know, is he the top one of the top 20 running backs? So now people are talking about he might be somewhere in the six to eight range of running backs taken, right? Like, which is wild that Bijan will almost certainly, well, no, almost, will certainly be the number one running back and maybe a top, you know, as high as like 15 pick. Um, But Roshan is so good. He looks so good. And he's doing the things in pass protection and doing the things in, in, you know, camps and interviews right now as as, uh, he's going around and, and just winning fans left and right. And it's no surprise if you know Roshan Johnson. We said that way back when, that as soon as he got to the interview phase and GMs talked to him, they would fall in love with this kid because he's a guy who you can, you know, have on your team for six years. He will lead. If it's the special teams unit, he'll be the voice and captain of the special teams unit. If he's getting carries, he's going to be dependable. If you put him in on pass pro, which is honestly the biggest moneymaker for rookie running backs to get drafted, right? If you can do that thing where you can play all downs immediately, He might be the best, you know, pass-blocking running back in this class. He does all the things, and he's, you know, has the heart, uh, determination, motivation, and mindset of a champion, and I'm excited to see uh, the rest of the country find out.
0: Easily the best, most heralded player out of PNG, right? Like 12,000 yards, like 160 touchdowns in three years as their quarterback. Like, in – would have been well within his rights to try to battle it out at quarterback. Tim Beck brought him in for a reason. He would have gone into a tough situation, would have sat behind Sam for two years. But instead, um, I think he made a team first decision. He also probably realized he could see the field quicker and maybe make a a place for himself. But like, I love seeing a guy get rewarded for uh, making that type of selfless decision. So absolutely, incredible. So I'm making the drum this week on Texas hands getting out to support the ladies and how that turned out for the neighborhood Longhorn program. Again, we talked about it in the women's section, uh, but 10K fans, 10 K fans, 10,000 fans showed up. And so there was an originally $10,000 on the line from Dick Schaefer's pocket. Turned out a lot of folks matched him. He had five donors match his $10,000 mark. And then some other smaller donors got it up to more than $150,000 for the neighborhood Longhorn Program and the uh, if you don't know about what what the NLP is, um, it is a program that that is designed to help kids in lower income areas of Austin, uh, have some academic advantages, get them into reading programs, and actually, uh, can turn into some scholarship money for them if they complete it. Basically, they get a scholarship savings account for every year of the program that they can complete, and so they can end up with a semester or two worth of money saved up for their college education. So, uh, I just think it's awesome that like. The fan base and the, the coaches, and uh, there were, there were business people and professors somehow, uh, that were dropping <laughs> 10k for this, but absolutely incredible to see, uh, just th- this type of community engagement. Like, I absolutely love to see it, and it's just, just speaks to the, the character of a guy uh, of Coach Schaefer to kick this off and, and the community, uh, at large really getting behind it and, and supporting such an awesome thing.
1: Yeah, what starts here changes the world. I would have loved to see that translate to you know, them clinching the. Uh, the, the championship on, on senior night, but it was phenomenal just to see 10,000 fans uh, come out to women's sporting event in, in the mood. Um, and again, great great uh, cause to get people there, but also just an incredible cause that they're choosing to support. So you win, win, win every way, except the game, I guess, but I'll take it. It's a, it's a bigger win, uh, which matters a lot more, the, the impact off the court. So very, very cool.
0: And that's all we got for you this week, Kyle. Where can the good folks find you on the internet?
1: Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas pre
0: Follow me on Twitter. I am at G H Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn pod, Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email. Longhorn Republic pod at gmail.com. We'll be back next week. Still on the burn Orange Nation podcast feed. Thank you so much for being a part of it. Again, if you haven't subscribed, do so so you can go with us whenever the transition does happen. And until then, hook them,
1: hook them. Texas' RBU.